Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Welcome to On the Bench. This is Brennan Sinone. I am joined today by Josh Newberg and Chris Snee. I would say as always, but we've had a different format recently as we've been wrapping up our Meet the Beat series. So we want to thank everyone ahead of time for uh, well for listening. If you haven't listened yet to the final one, and I assume a lot have at this point because it's been about a week, but but thank you for those who have listened and for the feedback uh, to, to give us the free way to go ahead and do that entire series. It was fun to get to know some other members of the beat, past and present, get them know know them better. And for us to kind of give you a little bit about our backgrounds too. Thanks to Trey Rowland for emceeing that event and also Wayne McGahey and Jeff Cameron for uh, for interviewing us. I, I got to even know a little bit more about both of you, Josh and Chris, your professional backgrounds in depth from from that. So that was that was a fun series. And thank you everyone for for listening. That was a second there that I gave you guys to go ahead and drop in and say anything that you want to about the series, but we'll, we'll continue. We'll continue on this episode of on the bench. We want to go over a few topics recruiting related, including a commitment plus some, uh, some things kind of outside the scope of the actual football. Uh, we're talking about uniforms, uh, stadium names, things like that. So anyways, without further ado, you want to stop hearing my voice here, Christopher knees, Chris FSU got a tight end commitment yesterday from junior college out in California Kobe Gross, uh, let's talk a little bit about the big physical blocker that FSU landed. He's a six foot three, two hundred thirty five pound town tight end. He's originally from the East Bay area, which is I guess near San Diego out there in Cali. He switched high schools late in his high school career, which stymied his recruitment to some degree. Led him to JUCO. He's had kind of a weird, unique journey. It's led to a lack of film, which always leads to questions by people. I think in this case, FSU had a connection there that they felt comfortable with. I think they've also seen some recent highlights of workout videos and such to have an idea of what the kid looks like current day. And ultimately, I think this is a kid that they're taking because he checks off a certain specific box with regards <laughs> to tight end that they want, which is a guy who's a physical, you know, put his face mask into the helmet of an opposite, opposing player and put him on their backside kind of guy. I don't. I don't view him as someone who's really versatile and can do a ton of different things or is super special. I think this is more about a specific skill set that he excels at at a position where they're trying to make over a room. Chris, is this fair to me? I see his upside, like the, like the the ceiling for him being that of a Gabe Neighbors type of contributor. Maybe not the exact same game, but someone who's going to do the dirty work and be a multi-year contributor at a very specific function. Is, is that fair yeah. to mind? Yeah, I think that's a good comparison. I think you're looking for a guy who can help you seal the edge and open up the running game and act as an additional blogger, can get to the second level and take on people. Basically, you're looking for a guy who's gritty and physical enough and willing enough to do that job and kind of relishes himself in doing so. And, you know, you're not going to find that in every tight end. You're going to find some tight ends that want to be flex receivers. You're going to find some tight ends that are 
good pass catchers and decent blockers. I think in this case, you're finding a guy who more so is just a blocker who enjoys being a blocker and is very willing and capable of doing that. So my thoughts are, I don't mind the take. I, I think the take at this point in the recruiting process is interesting to me because someone like a Gabe Neighbors was, FSU took him at the very, very end when they kind of saw how the class was going to fall out. And, and this is earlier, earlier on in the recruiting process for a guy who's junior college right now. Like you said, Kristen, have a lot of film. Josh, your thoughts on, I want to get your thoughts on what the timing of this offer says about where FSU's tight end recruiting is at this moment. I don't want to use the term desperate, but they're pretty desperate for quality tight ends at this point. I think that when you look at the room, you see what Mike Norvell has seen. You know, they bring in Carter Boatwright, who they like a good deal, but he's going to be a true freshman. They have Cameron McDonald, who's been very limited to what he's produced at the college level, even though he's going into his junior year. Then you have Wyatt Rector on the roster, who is a converted quarterback. And while they're, they're nice pieces None of these guys scream number one tight end. Um, obviously, going to the JUCO level and recruiting for 2021 isn't going to solve the issue in 2020, but it does kind of supplement these past classes of not taking a, a, a quality tight end. So hopefully, Kobe Gross, who has three years to play, um, he gets in and, and he gets in in May. Um, most JUCO guys are, are thought of to come in and play right away but that's usually with a two-year window. Kobe Gross has a three-year window. I don't know if he's an immediate impact guy, but I do think he contributes, you know, starting his first year on campus. And I, I think it's fair to say that the history of Mike Norvell and his offenses with that position means they know what they're looking for at that position. I, I don't think – I'm not going to try to turn Gross into something he's not. He's not really special. He's not one of these guys that's going to change the pace of FSU's offense but I think he fits something they specifically want in that position, something they desire in their offense that's needed at that position. One of those jobs that you need a guy to do who may not get the praise for what he's doing, I think that's sort of the hole that he's filling. And Florida State tried to land a JUCO tight end in the 2020 class. They just weren't able to. Uh, They continue to recruit JUCOs into the transfer portal after signing day and finally landed Jordan Wilson out of UCLA. So it showed – that they've been nonstop looking for tight ends since Mike Norvell arrived. And with Jordan Wilson, I think it's interesting when you look at how the scholarship distribution ends up working out. And we've talked about this before well, many times. Uh, there's always room in, in working with the numbers until there isn't. Like right now they have up to 25 guys accounted for with the counters for the past year's cycle. So uh, you end up going with Jordan Wilson to help elevate the floor of the tight end room. We don't know, even know if he's going to be a starter or not. For them, but but presumably it's going to be a number two tight end, and they went with that over an offensive tackle more than likely. I think that I think that's how that ultimately worked out. Uh, you obviously got Devontae Love Taylor in the transfer portal, but that's where it ends for Florida State. So the the makeup of FSU's roster, the way this staff, to me looking at it, views the tight end position and where that was at entering the offseason and how it viewed the offensive lines. They basically told you that tight end was as big of a priority, if not bigger than the offensive line for them. And, and I think that speaks to how Coach Norvell is going to run the offense at Florida State and how important tight end is. Uh, so that, that's, to your guys' point, like, that's what Kobe Gross does, right? That's He's the number two tight end long-term, or some of you view as that, who's going to be the blocker, who's going to be a specialist on on running downs, and actually has nice hands, too. Like, he he shows the ability to catch the ball in traffic and actually make some moves after the 
uh, after the catch. Just not someone who's going to stretch the field vertically. So I I, I don't hate the take at all. Uh, I think it's limited upside, but you certainly see the the reasoning for him. Uh, moving on to some other recruiting stuff. Chris, what's up with Cameron Scott, the offensive tackle? Evans, he's been dropping some some edits to him lately, but what what does that mean? I, I've talked to him a little bit over the last, I guess, about 10 days now. Started around mid-June. He's talked to Coach Atkins a lot. Um, he thought yesterday he was going to get on the horn with Mike Norvell. It didn't come about. He still believes that's going to come about at some point. He did talk to Coach Atkins again yesterday. They have not yet offered. If they do offer, they're going to be a significant player with him. I think one question mark that exists with him, and obviously this is because of the pandemic, how, what are his actual measurables? Is he a guy that can play tackle from a length standpoint, or is he probably more limited and more of an interior type of guard type? I think that's probably the biggest question mark that they're trying to figure out with him. But they've built that relationship. Old Miss kind of came in there first, and then FSU was on him right after. Those were his first major power fives in the window. He is certainly interested in FSU. He actually mentioned to me yesterday, yesterday from a Twitter standpoint how much love he was getting from both FSU staff and coaches as well as just fans and that that stood out to him. So he's a kid that certainly his interest has peaked right now with the Seminoles. I got a uh, offensive lineman kind of similar to Cameron Scott that I spoke to on Tuesday. All right. His name is Ruquan Buckley. And um, he's from Grand Rapids, Michigan. He goes six foot six, 260 pounds. Offensive tackle prospect that FSU has not offered yet, but they have been in contact with him since April. And on Monday, Buckley did a virtual visit with the FSU staff. I spoke to him afterward. He told me it was great. They covered everything. Um, he said, we talked about a possible offer and it'll probably come when I visit. So he's hoping to take some visits whenever that's able um, he told me that the there's four teams that he's primarily in contact with right now, and that's FSU, Nebraska, Michigan State, and Minnesota. All right, so the offensive line board seems to be, I don't want to say shaping up, but we are getting a better idea of, of where it stands right now, maybe after, uh, after you got a few guys on board uh, and, and kind of have a better idea like what the interior guard or offensive line positions are and, and now seeing more of an emphasis on those tackle bodies as FSU continues to evaluate the position. Uh, so we've seen some some evaluating going on there and a little bit more clarity for, for the tackle types in this class. The other recruiting development I want to touch on real quick because we just haven't talked about it and since, well, we haven't talked about it at all. We haven't talked about recruiting much in the last week or so. Uh, and that was Keon Coleman, the four-star wide receiver from Louisiana, goes ahead and drops his top three. South Carolina, Oklahoma, not huge surprises, but Kansas, and I know they have a coach on staff that has Louisiana ties. Kansas is the third part of that top three. FSU does not make the cut. Fellas, help me help me wrap my mind around that one. I know we don't want to do the sky is falling type of stuff every time we come on and talk about a, a negative development, but but that was a bit of a, a gut punch in my mind, just perception-wise. Well, I think the reason Kansas is there is because he's a kid that can also hoop, and he hoops at a high level, and he's been getting recruited by Kansas. I believe he's been getting attention directly from Bill Self with regards to Kansas. It's kind of like Terry on Arnold, the safety. He... He's getting a ton of football interest, but he also has some schools that are being really aggressive basketball-wise. And in Arnold's case, he's still kind of tossing around the idea of whether or not he's going to do both. In Coleman's case, I think his preference is to do both from having spoken to him in the past. I don't think FSU's dead and buried there. Obviously, I don't think it's a good sign for them to get him. But if he does wait to take visits, I think that opens up the door a bit more. I think the biggest thing that hindered FSU there 
And it's not like he visited the others, but the inability to visit FSU, I think, hurt them as much as anybody. Um, so he's one of those, I think, if he waits a bit, they'll still have a shot. I think OU's wide receiver uh, history and ability in that offense to put a wide receiver on a island and let him go kind of start like a CD lamb. I think that's super appealing to the kid. Um, and I think with Kansas, it was hoops with South Carolina. I'm not really sure why they're the third. I think FSU, them and a few of the others, Michigan state, for example, were all kind of in a similar standing to possibly make that top three. I think right now top two there for him is Oklahoma and Kansas. Do we have any other recruiting topics that, that either of you want to go over that I haven't mentioned yet or set you up for before we move on? No, I, I don't. I mean, I, I think we're seeing them trying to find guys who are both going to help raise the floor of the team, make them a better team, and who are attainable. And maybe some guys who also have patience in the process. Yeah. You know, yeah. is what they're at right now. I, I think it's kind of one of those things where the board's in flux, but the whole landscape of a lot of kids rushing into things also makes that kind of a tough thing to navigate because you don't want to say, I think I might like this kid and offer him, and suddenly he wants to commit. And you either have to take them and you're not sure you really want to take them or you kind of have to hurt relationship and tell them, no, we're not ready. And sometimes that might bite you in the ass if down the road you realize you want to take them. I think that's one of the things that's kind of going on in recruiting for FSU right now. Yeah, I think recruiting is going to pretty much stay the pace that it is. I don't think until visits occur again or until the season starts that we're going to see a major shift in the board, meaning – you know, all of a sudden Florida State gets in on some of these top guys in the rankings. I don't think that's going to change. Um, Florida State's just got to kind of weather this storm, recruit the way that Chris just explained, and hope that things open up here in the fall. All right, the last topic that I want to go over before we take our commercial break, development with a player no longer on the roster. That's running back Anthony Grant. Not a huge surprise because we had heard rumors about academics being – Questionable. Obviously, he wasn't actually with the team last year for personal reasons. Uh, when we saw him this spring, he was someone who clearly had a lot of work to do to get back in shape and looked like he had been away from football for a little bit. And with the grades being factored into that too, all those combined, I wasn't sure if he was long for this world when it came to FSU football, if he was going to be on the roster for a very long period of time. Uh, lo and behold, was not listed on the roster earlier this week. Chris, you wrote about it. Mm-hmm. Anything else to add on, on Anthony Grant and that departure? Yeah, I had a conversation with somebody that would know a thing or two about it. And uh, I think if you look at the way it was stated that he's no longer with the team as compared to some other guys like an A.J. Litton who was dismissed um, and others of those sorts where you've seen kind of a different way of describing it. I think in this case with Anthony Grant, it was more a situation where it just disappointingly didn't work out for the young man. And it wasn't going to work out. So they had to part ways and he has to go figure out what he's going to do next and get things in order. I think academics certainly played a part. I think the mystery that surrounds last year with him sort of disappearing, I think both from the university and the team played a role leading to this point because it put him behind the eight ball. and He wasn't able to dig himself out of that hole. But I don't think this was a case where FSU was like, go get out. We're done with you. I don't, I don't think that's how, Mike Norvell and his staff viewed Anthony Grant. I think this was more, it had reached this point. There wasn't a way to keep going. That made sense for any of the parties involved. It seems like they legitimately tried to make it work with him because. Yes. And I I think they definitely wanted to, too. Yeah. Because running back is the position that they need as many bodies as possible at Anthony Grant when he's in good shape. We, We saw a little glimpse of what he could do in 2018 
that's now what, Chris, eight out of 21 guys from the transition class under Willie Taggart in 2018 that are no longer with Florida State? Yeah, it's eight out of 21. About another nine of them have been productive players for the program. And then the other three or four guys that I wouldn't really say have done anything negative, but they also haven't really made any impact. A guy like Chaz Neal, for example, and Jalen Goss kind of fall in that middle category. No, it wouldn't be surprising if after the end of uh, this season, if if we're over a 50% rate of guys we've left, I don't think that would be perfect. Which we've written about yep. it before if we wear the transition class, and, and that's something that to keep an eye on with Coach Norvell and, and this staff. Like, it, it's tough. You have a transition class. You don't have as much time to do homework on guys. It leads to a pretty high flameout rate. Yeah. Sometimes right. the guys, sometimes guys just on your roster that you're not in love with. And at some point they figure that out too. Yeah. Because you're, you have limited options, limited time to do homework, limited time to recruit someone. It, it just, it, it leads to a higher, higher volatility rate as, as we found in the early signing period era. Okay. With that in mind, we're gonna take a quick commercial break. We have some interesting topics to get to after this commercial. So stick with us and we'll be right back in a minute. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24/7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank linkedin helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't even visit other leading job sites so start looking in the right place with linkedin you can hire professionals like a professional post your free job on linkedin.com recommend today all right fellas do we want to go with a little scoop that i have a little tidbit or do you want to talk about me winning a national championship with the NCAA 14 dynasty? With Florida they State? both sound really thrilling. Why don't you go with the tidbit? <laughs> <laughs> guys never support me. Uh, I won a national championship with James Blackman as my quarterback and, and uh, true freshman. Anyways, starting all over the place. It was, it was, it was remarkable. So a little tidbit uh, with most of the freshman class on campus and players doing uh, player-ran activities – just essentially seven on sevens or just throwing the ball a little bit of of scoop here for you guys. I think this will be encouraging for Florida state fans. Apparently Chubba Purdy's arm strength is legit. Now this is just throwing around and, you know, t-shirts and shorts, but 
with just only seeing him in film, all three of us weren't able to see him in person. He's all the way out in Arizona. We weren't sure how that arm talent would translate over to the college level. We still technically aren't sure, but I've heard really good things about his ability to push the ball downfield. It kind of matches what you saw on the highlights, but, but that was an encouraging detail that I received recently that he looks really sharp when throwing the ball downfield. Uh, Tate Rotomaker apparently has been the most accurate, consistently accurate quarterback of the bunch. Uh, early portion of these player run practices and throwing the ball and the other uh, name there obviously is James Blackman and, and James has kind of been what James has been in his career. He throws the best ball at, at the high end and then probably the most inconsistent on the low end right now. And that's what we have with the, the three primary quarterbacks on the roster. Uh, fellas, who do you think takes the most snap? I'll start with you, Chris. Who do you think takes the most snaps at quarterback for FSU this season? As of right now, I'd, I'd probably still lean Blackman, but I'm on record as saying I believe Purdy ends up the starter by the end of the year. Josh, I'm going Blackman. I've been, I've been, uh, I've been saying that for a while. I, I'm going Blackman as well. I'm with you guys. Well, I, I do think it's boring when we all agree, but I do think Chuba Purdy has a has a chance if if Blackman falters. I feel more confident today than I did a week ago even and saying that I think Chubba Purdy is someone that the staff would turn to confidently to start kind of building him up a little bit and seeing what you have with him and, and kind of start building for the future if Blackman doesn't give you what you want production-wise. All right, white uniforms – or sorry, not white uniforms, white numbers on uniforms. Big distinction there because they would be on the Garnet uniforms. Something the fan base has wanted for a very long period of time and FSU made that official. I, I don't – have a whole lot to say. I mean, I think it looks better. I'm glad that Florida State listened to a pretty loud portion of the fan base. I think it just it looks cleaner. Uh, guys, I don't know what thoughts you have on this, but something I wanted to touch on real quick. I thought it needed to be done. Yeah. I thought it was I, – I, I mean, on the scale of importance, it's it's not up there, but do I think it needed to be done? Yes. I think you always try to give your fans something they want, especially if it's something you can then go sell and make money off of. Which is helpful in these uh, hard art economic times. So it it was something that FSU said a year ago they were going to do. It was funny to see our message board anytime there was a a graphic with a white number or even with the an old gold number, uh, the freak out that would ensue because they just didn't trust that it was actually going to happen. But FSU announced it. They kind of threw Willie Taggart a bone and let him announce it. But this wasn't a necessarily a Willie Taggart deal. This was a Florida State saying we got to get this right deal and they did it so it took a little bit longer I think than most of us would have liked but yeah it, it's nice it's clean the jersey looks nice that they <laughs> the people freaked out initially because the uh the trimming looked yellow and the the fluorescent lights but I think they'll look fine uh, actually on the field so they almost they almost got in trouble with that one too because people were thinking it was an ugly yellow trim it's all right guys let's move on to a topic that kind of fits in with a lot of well, a lot of conversation dealing with race uh, that we haven't really hit from on, on this podcast, and we've discussed some of the stuff with Marvin Wilson in Florida State and, and the march that uh, that FSU did to uh, yeah, the Unity Walk to kind of draw some some awareness of of race and and trying to push for equality in, in that regard locally in Tallahassee. So we've talked about this on the podcast before. Uh, and we're trying to talk about things as it relates to Florida State on this topic, and this certainly does. A former Florida State player, Kendrick Scott, 
created a petition recently to change the stadium's name. Right now it's Dope Campbell Stadium. Uh, and basically he's saying that, that Dope Campbell's non-inclusive views of black uh, students uh, was segregationist and, and divisive is what his petition says. And, and Dope Campbell was a university president for Florida State. That petition has more than 2,500 signups right now. Initially, he was asking for, Scott was asking for 500. Uh, when I checked earlier today here on Thursday morning, it was past 2,500 and was going up. You could see the numbers going consistently while you're watching that petition. Uh, real quick, and I want to get Josh's thoughts because I know he's at, he's done more homework on this than even I have. Uh, but but our buddy Tom D'Angelo, the Palm Beach Post, caught up with Dope Campbell the third, that would be Doak Campbell's. It's weird to talk about Doak Campbell as a person, guys, because I just think of the stadium. Um, and, and so every time I say Doak Campbell, it's weird to think about, about it being people. But Doak Campbell the third talked to Tom D'Angelo about this, and he said uh, about his father uh, that, quote, I hope that people view actions in the context of the environment of that time. That was a long time ago. I would be very, it would be very different if he had spoken out or written opinions, but he didn't. That was not the sphere of the campus. Uh, he also said my grandfather was not a segregationist. So Josh, uh, I know you've done more research a little bit on, on things. I haven't like done any research. I just right. never knew who Dope Campbell was. Um, I used to live in Tallahassee, went to Florida State, lived in Indian Village, which is, you know, a seven iron away from Dope Campbell Stadium. Um, I was there for five years. I went to every single home game except for one. So I walked into Dope Campbell Stadium a, a lot of times, been in there many and many a times, never knew who Dope Campbell was. Did Chris, before you looked it up or have you looked it up, but did you ever know like when you were a student who Dope Campbell was? I don't know about when I was a student, but I have for about a decade now. I, I researched a lot of stuff about FSU's campus after I graduated from there. And just because I'm, I'm in Tallahassee, I have a mm -hmm. lot of friends that come in, some who are FSU grads, some who are FSU fans, some who don't have any interest in FSU at all, but want to go see it nonetheless. So I kind of researched stuff regarding some of the names of the business building because I'm a business school graduate, the sport facilities like Donald o. Tucker, for example, stuff like that. I, yeah, I did. I knew. And then when everything came about here in the last several months, I knew this topic was eventually going to become a topic. Okay, good. Well, he was, for those of you that still do not know, and, and I'm sure there's a lot of you out there, there's nothing wrong with that, but Dope Campbell's term of president of the school was from 1941 to 1957. He was the first president of Florida State University and the third president of Florida State College for Women. So he, he kind of helped with the, the school transition from co-ed to what it is now. Um, he also led the construction of Centennial Field on the southwest corner of campus when Centennial Field was replaced by 15,000-seat stadium in 1950, his name was slapped on it. Um, this is from the Tallahassee Democrat. Campbell, according to reports, was opposed to the, the admissions of African-American students to Florida State, um, quote, refused to tolerate any breach of racial segregation. I don't know what his, his grandson's talking about. Um, but he also discussed banning the Florida Flambeau from posting pro-desegregation editorials, which I think was the school newspaper at the time, right? Mm -hmm. Not yeah. the Tallahassee newspaper, but yes. the school newspaper. So he was trying to silent those that were posting editorials on the subject. Um, he was continuing to uphold the segregation. We're not talking about a guy that 
like donated his land or was a great philanthropist or donated money. I mean, he was the school president at the time that they built the stadium and his name got slapped on it, which is fine, you know, at the times, but in these times, I don't think Dope Campbell represents Florida state or the mentality of the students that go there, the alumni that have graduated from there. And I don't really understand, um, well, I guess maybe there's not deep ties to the name. I think there's a process taking place. We've heard from the the, the president of our university already that A.D. Coburn's going to look into it and they're going to look at some recommendations. And to be honest with you, I think this is a phenomenal opportunity for Florida State because in no other time would they have been able to take the name Dope Campbell off without some controversy. Now it's gone and they can sell it. And maybe in no other time in the recent history has Florida State needed this revenue. Um, so I think this personally, I think this is a great opportunity for Florida State, and it's a great time to remove the name Dope Campbell from the stadium. Bobby yeah, Bowden, I, Bobby Bowden Field at at Pub Sub Stadium. Hey, let's go make that money. You know what Whataburger Stadium? Ooh, um, no, that's more Texas. We could, we could be called the Gut Box instead Gut. of Doke. You know, Guthrie's takes over yeah. and sponsors the stadium. Spanx Stadium. You got your ass beat at Spanx Stadium. You got your ass Spanx. There you go. There you go. That's a good one. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm of the opinion you saw the naming rights. I, I think the more FSU does that, the better for the university. I know there's people that think that kills tradition. I don't really think the name Dope Campbell has a whole lot of tradition built into it. Uh, then it's what we've all grown up knowing to call the stadium. I think the average person – Average FSU fan, average FSU alumni isn't even sure who he is in general. I think obviously this topic's put more of a spotlight on that. But I'm of the opinion that if you can get a good naming rights deal that makes sense, you go ahead and do it. I know some people won't like it. And you know what? Those people can still call it Doe Campbell if they so choose. You know, Kroger Field at Kentucky, I think people still call it what? Commonwealth? Is that what it was back in the day? So I don't think it drastically changes things for a I mean, lot I think of people. Go back to the original Centennial Field. <laughs> Where where's all the uh, you know the people that w- were outraged over the renaming from Centennial Field? I don't know. Maybe they're. Going. Yeah, I'm, I'm you can not one to live with a lot of outrage. You can still refer to the choke at Doke, like right? Like I, I don't know. It's it happened. Yeah, it's, <laughs> so, it's yes, history. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're not erasing it. I just think that you know nothing's forever. Everything changes, and just like the times, I think somebody's name and. It, it's not like he built the stadium. He didn't donate. You know, he was just the president at the time and he got his name slapped on. And I think there's just more, there's more appropriate ways to honor uh, Florida state than using Doe Campbell's name. I think you capitalize on it with capitalism. You figure out a way to generate more money in this moment, in this situation, you open the door for doing that more on campus. There's always going to be people that push back on any and all ideas if you stick with name, there's going to be people that push back. If you sell the name, there's going to be people that push back. If you name it something else that's in between those two, you know, say Bobby Bowden Stadium at something else field, there's going to be pushback on that. It's just the natural order of things. So I think you make the decision that you believe is in the best interest of the university, both short and long term, and you kind of you ride with it. Pop Belly Stadium. I like it. Mm. Two for one, fourth quarter. <laughs> All right. I think that's everything that we had on the docket for today. I wanted to thank. What about what about our 
our esteemed ACC leader John Swafford announcing his retirement. I don't. I don't care. Oh, we could name this stadium after him. <laughs> I think you want to talk about it, go for it. I. I just. I, I think if anybody listened to me after the ACC basketball yeah. tournament, they know that <laughs> I was more than ready for John Swafford to hang it up. I think he should have hung it up the moment he announced the ACC network. I feel like that was his swan song song. That's the thing he worked towards at the end of his career. It was the last thing he needed to do. I think this conference needs someone who has a younger view on things, who is a media rights kind of person, a person that can think about doing things in a way they've never done been done before with a focus on generating revenue. And I think that's important. I don't know who the next one should be. I just hope we don't go with someone who's a lot like the last one they just had for several decades. I think Chris should be the commissioner of the ACC. Hell no. uh, uh, Josh, this uh, this was something I didn't want to do because Chris wasn't going to initially be on today's podcast because he's out of pocket on and off for this week with his his family on like a pseudo vacation. But Chris Mm -hmm. was able to join us, which is awesome. What are the five pillars of, of Chris Nee covered recruiting? Can we talk about like his his core beliefs? Because I think you can take what he's talking about with covering recruiting and apply it to life and, and be pretty successful. Well, one of the th- main things Chris taught me was say as little, be direct and say as little as possible. I used to kind of get on the message boards and answer questions in more than one sentence, but Chris has inspired me to try to limit my answers to one sentence. Um, one word, if you can. Yeah, now Josh is just doing one or two words. I think I'm pretty sure just to hit his quota for message board posts. Yeah, that's one. different. That's different. <laughs> um, what were some of the? What was the other one that I, I had a couple in there? Don't I, don't tie yourself into a timeline. Don't pay yourself. Oh yeah, better. Chris always taught me never to put myself on a timeline. Uh, the Kobe Gross decision was a good example of that. Uh, we thought it was going to happen on Sunday. It ended up dragging out till Tuesday. We never put out an official date on the site. Therefore, we didn't have a lot of members, you know, barking at us every five minutes. What what happened to Kobe Gross? What happened to Kobe Gross? Um, so that's smart. Uh, there's probably something in there about. Don't take no shit would be one because he I, I've heard stories of me going back at recruits who who give him shit. He doesn't he doesn't tolerate it to, to an extent. Nobody likes to be lied to, especially after 10 years in this game. But yeah, this there's some gems. We sh- we could write a whole book on it. Let's do it. The book, the book of Eli. Now we'll have the book of Chris. Mm-hmm. It'll be much more boring. Of Neil. Denzel, Denzel won't be in my movie. <laughs> Chris, Chris, bring bring back Chris Farley post posthumously. Too soon. No, not too soon. I, I should have been at the podcast five minutes ago before he's talking about Swafford. I've never seen Chris try to get to a story as fast as that. He really wanted to write the Swafford's stepping down story, I feel like. He was happy. He about needed that. closure. He did. He did. No, you know the not. videos of the 300-pound lineman jumping out of the deep end of the pole? That's what I did <laughs> the moment the email came across. <laughs> All right. I do want to I do want to give everyone a uh, – we've had a lot of support for this podcast, and – especially recently when Josh started asking for the five-star reviews or even when we had Trey ask, it seems markedly people listen to them much, much more than they listen to me. Uh, but we have gone, Oh, we are 10 away, 10 five-star reviews away from a thousand five-star reviews, which is awesome. Like we've surpassed wake up poor chant and they've been doing this longer than us. And they have a larger subscriber base. Cause they've been around longer too. They've been doing the podcast game longer than us. And we've surpassed it. So thank you for everyone for taking your phones out and providing us the support. I think it's going to lead to some really cool things here in the near future as the podcast podcast continues to grow in popularity, despite my constant apologizing and butchering of, 
of names and, and just the English language in, in general. Uh, I want to go ahead and read a couple of, of the five-star reviews real quick because they were funny and made me laugh out loud. Uh, let's see. This, these are recent ones. Rut butter, rut nut, which I may <laughs> seem slightly offensive. I don't know. Uh, he writes, best FSU podcast. I was in a new barbershop in Austin, Texas this past week wearing an FSU shirt, hopefully a mask too. Uh, one of the barbers, just kidding, guys. One of the barbers starting, uh, started asking me about FSU football. He asked, you ever listen to On the Bench? He was a Longhorn fan who stumbled upon On the Bench uh, from the What Happened with Willie series. He then asked, what's the really insecure guy's name? Brendan, is what Rudder Butternut said. Any FSU podcast that has a Barbers and Austin listening is clearly the best. Thank you guys for all you do. Brendan, you're great at what you're doing. Stop apologizing. Thank you. Uh, FSU student math said FSU best on the FSU beat for, uh, for on the bench, uh, hands down my favorite podcast and also my favorite FSU site, great personalities and original content. That's high quality. Unlike war chant. We, I agree. We have more five-star reviews than war chant. We haven't even peddled out, uh, shamelessly t-shirts to get five-star ratings yet. Yeah. We may create t-shirts and, and whore ourselves out a little bit, but no, we're good. Uh, Anyways, Josh, do you want to tease anything that we have coming up in the next week or so? Or do you want to keep that on the on the down low? Uh, I think we're going to start up another series. We've brought you guys a couple, and we've got another one coming where we – well, since there's no Don't football camps in the summer. No, since, we, since there's no football camps in the summer, we want to bring you some summer recruiting content. So we're going to reminisce on some of the more eventful summers, some of the, some of the bigger names that have been on campus and just – some of our memories from all these summer camps that we've covered. I think that'll be a fun one and we'll get some. I think we'll talk about Justin Fields at all. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think unfortunately we will. Uh, Chris, do you want to, do you want to end it by asking for a five-star review and then stick in the landing? His mic's muted right now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know what guys take away all of our five-star reviews. We don't, we don't deserve it anymore. For Joshua Newberg and Christy, I am Brendan Sinone. This has been On the Bench. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with another fun series, hopefully early next week. So, uh, so be on the lookout for that. We'll talk to you guys later. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.